0: Welcome to podcast number 70 for Thanks for Your Service and our first podcast for 2024. Our focus is on historical topics relating to the Australian military. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube to search for Thanks for Your Service. And our website is www.thanksforyourservice.net and you can email us at info at In 2023, the National Archives of Australia reached a significant milestone, having digitised more than one million World War II records. These records are now made available online free of charge. Rebecca Panner from the National Archives of Australia joins us to explain more. Rebecca, many thanks for joining us from Canberra.
1: Thank you, it's wonderful to talk to you about this um, wonderful work we do here at the National Archives. So thanks for having me.
0: Well, most welcome. Tell us first, what are the National Archives of Australia?
1: That's a good question. Um, So the National Archives of Australia, we're a government agency. Um, so we're a federal agency um, that collects records of Australian government decisions. So we inc- we collect really important records that kind of provide um, evidence of what has happened um, across the federal government. But I think it's more than that. So we have that mandate to collect these records, but more than that, we also have a mandate to make sure that we preserve those records, that we make sure that those records um, are understood you know do they have titles are they constructed around a group of records um and also the thing that i think is really important is um we make them accessible obviously there's there's the archives act and there's legislation around how we make those records accessible um but that's generally our aim um i think is is you know it's all fine our, someone said to me um once upon a time that uh, we have these records that sit in boxes and they actually need air to survive and live and um so we need to take them out of those boxes and make them available more and more in the digital form but obviously still in the paper form
0: and that's exactly the theme of our call today because you guys have reached a milestone this year in 2023 with the world war Two digitization project what's the project about
1: yes yeah, so um The World War two service records um, so the National Archives holds um, a number of defense related service records We held we hold our World War one service records and our World War two service records And as you can imagine these records are really really important records, but also really popular records you know these these are people making connections with individuals and so in 2000 and oh I think it was about 2010 the archives um was was provided with funding from the government at the time to actually digitize our world war one service records it was about three hundred and sixty thousand records of people and it was just it was momentous it was a it was a huge thing so I think since that time we've been you know, going along and when people ask us to digitise their World War II service records or their grandparents' service records, we've done it. But I think we got to a point um, in about 2018, 2017, where we said, you know what, let's... Is there a way of actually getting this done once and for all? These records are, as we know, getting to sort of 80 years. Now is the time to kind of get these digitised. And so we were lucky enough, the government at the time gave us $10 million dollars. Um, to go towards digitizing. At the time we had around um, close to 900,000 records that we still needed to digitize. um, And so that's what we've been doing since then. Um, And so yes, our milestone was that we reached over a million records digitized. And actually since that time, um, the archives, there was still a small proportion of records, um, particularly around um, in a particular Air Force series that we still had not completed by, by the thirtieth of June this year, and so the archives has decided. Well, um, let's just finish it. We 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 we're so close. Let's finish it. But more importantly, once they're digitised, let's let's make them available to people wherever possible online. So that was a really big part of the of the project.
0: And the availability and accessibility obviously is a, a crucial factor from a national archives mm. perspective. How do people even commence a search? For these records
1: well that's true i think i think the first thing is to come to the national archives probably not the war memorial which i think is a really natural thing no that that said the war memorial and we work really closely so even if you go to the war Memorial, they'll they'll send you our way or you go onto the website but i guess the first place to start really is our website so we have um national archives website naa.gov.au for those playing at home but also and that that includes a um access to our catalogue, so we have a cataloguing system. So all these records have been catalogued. Every World War II service record has a title and is listed on what we call record search, which is our our, um, database. So if you know someone's surname, uh, date of birth, uh, place of enlistment, you can type that information into our record search and, and bring up that information. But I think what also the website does is you may not have that information, you may not know where to start. And so there's a couple of things that the website does. There's lots of fact sheets and documents that say, you know, where do I begin? And it might be the World War II, there's specific World War II pages, but it also might be more general, there might be other things that you're interested in, in that sort of defence service page. So I think there's options for if you have the details. There's options if you don't have the details. And at the end of the day, the other option is help, which is there's you know ask us a question, talk to one of our reference services people, and there's all sorts of specific there's specific um, help pages for World War II. So you you know that'll be directed straight to people who who are working with those records. And I can honestly say we're we're always happy to, um, to help people find things or or really curly questions. We um, we found recently, I was over at our, we have um, two offices here in Canberra. One is our public um, facing um, records, which is sort of towards the parliamentary triangle. But I was over speaking to our reference services team the other day and, and one of the team members had two photos that were obviously taken from one of our service records for World War Two. I guess we'll get into what you can see in those files. But actually it appears that there's there was We assume a mistake made at the time where there's two photos with the same service number These photos came from the same file But I can tell you those people are not the same people in those photos So you know, it's it's again. We were we're all having discussions about how do we how do we find? Which is the correct photo and who is this other person? How do we link that person back? So they're really interested, I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, ask for help and you'll get it.
0: Obviously, you've said you've reached a milestone. You now have a, over a million mm. records that are now accessible. When people uh, access the records, what do they find?
1: Oh, well, so we have um, for the World War II service files, we have our Navy files. And files isn't quite correct. They're actually Navy cards. So um, I guess in terms of those, that suite of World War II records, you'll probably Find a card, and and has, I guess there's a standard lot of information you'll see across all the records. Place of enlistment. I love occupation at time of enlistment. I always find that really interesting, and sort of those sorts of details at the beginning. You'll also find a record of service, so um, a bit of a summary about, um, you know, when people enlisted and the various positions they held. And then we have, I guess, the Army files. They tend to be a little bit, they're, they're bigger than obviously the Navy cards. They have a bit more detail. You're often likely to see a, um, a photograph, a little photograph. They're kind of like what you see, passport photos, a little prints um, of the person at the time of enlistment. But also you're likely to see leave forms and um, yeah, service, or so a record of service. So it goes into where they served and, and how much time. And then we actually move into Air Force. It's a, it's a bit of a conundrum as to, you know, what what there's such such um, a difference, but the Air Force service files we actually find are, are, are larger still and particularly what we call the non-commissioned officer files. They can be up to sort of 80 pages and they often contain Photographic negatives, we've found we're actually doing a separate project to to do work with those Um, Sometimes you'll see candid photos that people might have submitted at at the beginning. So you imagine um, Street photography and things like that, but also more detail. It could be their training what training they undertook referees So quite often you'll see referees from local businesses but also, you do start to get some of those um, the, the requests for people to be discharged, and they they can vary. We've we've certainly seen you see a lot of um, heartfelt messages from people saying, you know, we had we had one family that we found who. When World War II broke out, they were a mining family, that's sort of what they looked after. But everyone in the family, all the children enlisted, two girls and three males, they'd already lost um, two of the children during the war. And this was literally the mother saying, I just need help with the farm, you know, I need. And then you've got the flip side where we've also found people who work in industries, for example, shark fishing, that's really critical. (laughs) didn't know this was the case um in the in the production of vitamins for people who were serving and so you find again requests to say we don't have a lot of shark fisher people with the required skills can can they be um can they be um discharged and i think that's the great thing about these records you really do get a personal insight and and really they are incredible stories but you also start to see that interaction with businesses and, and other people and, and and the toll in in life back in Australia. So that's that's the thing I also love mm. about these files. <laughs>
0: We're talking to you in late November 2023. What's left for the project?
1: Mm. Uh so what's left is we have about um we have about 70,000 files left, um, sort of sort of the 1.3 million we're kind of getting to. So we have about 70 paper files left from the Air Force series to still digitise. And we have commenced that process. We're using um, lots of external people who have been with us throughout this whole project for doing that digitisation. And the other big factor is, um, David, you were saying before, is is that process to make sure these, wherever possible, are being made available on record search um, in the digital form. So that work is continuing on as well. So our absolute aim is that by the 30th of June next year, wherever possible, both the records will be digitised, but also made available online through our record search.
0: Now, we're talking today about World War II. Records. What about other conflicts? You you have the World War One records all digitised. What about um, say Vietnam or even back to even the Boer War?
1: Yeah. No. Absolutely. So we have we we absolutely we we have records from about nineteen oh one. But we do include some colonial records um, such as the Boer War. We also, the, as we said before, the War Memorial also holds a lot of those operational records. Um, In terms of the specific records around things like Vietnam and Korea, at the moment, those records are actually not in archives custody. They're still sitting with defence. But as you can imagine, once once World War II, once we we finish that work, the next step is how do we now bring those records into custody and do the same thing? I think, as you can imagine, those records feel a lot more recent. I think they feel, you know, they feel. Um, so I think, you know, with those records, we we want to be really, really careful. Not that we're not careful with the World War II, but particularly around those personal sensitivities and things like that so members of the public if they do want access to those records absolutely can come to us those who the records relate to can also go to um, defense and also seek the records through those as well so I guess that's the point is those records are available but we don't necessarily um, as a policy make those records available online to everyone we just mm. we have those discussions so yeah mm. depends if they're in the open period but yeah
0: during the current project were there any particular records that stood out any particular stories that emanated from from the digitization of these files
1: yeah quite there were quite a few and I think that was the wonderful thing about having a team, having a project team. I think it's really interesting, you know, this this world of scale and we're, we're trying at the National Archives to, um, you know, to, we want to increase as much as we can um, to make these records available and digitize and, and industry really helps us with that. But I think one of the things we've learnt so far in this project is you can't underestimate the power of having a team who actually is seeing these records as they go past because it might be that no one has a look at these records and so we really encouraged our team of digitizers or quality assurance staff to if you see something have a look and so we found and also frankly we had COVID so we had COVID in the middle of this project which seemed really difficult because we had a lot of staff who needed to then work from home. We didn't want them to be in a point where um, they couldn't couldn't do meaningful work, and so a lot of them did a lot of research into these records. They they either picked topics they were interested in, or or we we chose things. And so we had someone who was particularly interested in the letters of reference you find on the Air Force service files. He started with his interest was around the letterheads. I mean, you don't see carved and beautiful letterheads like you you do back then but also I think he was really interested in in these industries you know we had we had industries where they were saying you know if you don't come back the manager has had a, a mental breakdown um, because of the stress he's under but equally you had under other industries who would say we're going to look to older um, hire older people to to work. So you sort of see that insight. We also saw stories of unexpected. We talk about the Caterpillar Club, one of the ones we talk a lot about. And this was, a, this was a flight sergeant, David Richards, and he was in an aircraft that was shot down over Germany. Once he hit the ground, he managed to survive and, and walk to um, sort of a, an abandoned shed, but was eventually captured and popped into a, popped I shouldn't say, was taken to a prisoner of war camp. Um, where he remained until the end of the war. And so we saw this service file and it was it was all, you know, it had the the sort of standard information. But two things struck us. One was there was there was the correspondence with the Red Cross, you know, backwards and forwards. Thanks so much for our tobacco. Thank you for my parcels. And this idea of kind of seeing, you know, what's your address? P O W Camp, Stalgrad, you know, it's kind of, we were sort of, we we just didn't see that kind of that correspondence we weren't really aware that that was happening but also the other thing that really struck us with that one was a letter that was sent to the caterpillar club um, and I'm not sure how many I, I suspect maybe some of your listeners would be aware but the caterpillar club was established in 1922 by um, Leslie Irvin and he was a stuntman but also looked after he created the Irvin air shoots so parachutes and so basically he set up this club where the club motto was life depends on a silken thread and the Caterpillar was their mascot and it was eligible for people who had bailed out of an aircraft and was saved by this parachute. And so you could become a club member. It's still around. The War Memorial I've seen on their website has an example of this little gold Caterpillar blood badge with a little ruby eye that you can get. But, yeah, we just, I think for us we were sort of, Someone is writing this in a POW camp and getting correspondence, and he was signed up. And then you see other, I mean, I could, uh, I, I guess there's personal stories. One of the things we also, um, which I probably didn't say about before, but one of the things we also find on the s- service records sometimes is letters of, particularly in the Air Force, officer particularly on the officer files, around frank and fearless feedback being given by their assessing officers. And that can be very interesting in terms of both. I think sometimes we see people who, you know, on you might see an officer who just says, Yes, this person is just outstanding, and you can imagine—you know—it's—it's it's really nice to go back and perhaps look at people who we know went on to lead commands and and things like that. But um, Margaret Spencer, who led um, the Australian Women's Army Service, um, and you look back onto her first kind of training cards, and they're like—you know—she's sort of one in a million, and you—it's like, well, yes, of course she's. But also other people. We have um, Edith Backhouse was one of my personal favourites um, and she was she was a writer before she enlisted in the Air Force. But her the information on her assessment is very much, you know, these novelists with their flights of fancy. Um, maybe she'd be better suited to our PR department. And, I mean, she was publishing books. We hold in our copyright collection the book she was publishing at the time, but obviously that didn't necessarily make her the best um, officer recording
0: to this person so. can you give us an overview in terms of, of the technology behind the mm. essentially the scanning of these records i mean i'm i'm struggling to put one sheet on a on a, a computer scanner at home so how do you begin to achieve over a thousand oh, sorry over a million records that have been digitized yeah.
1: Yeah, we have computers with big brains and we have even bigger brains um, in our digital archives. So I guess that's something that the archives has been working on for for decades, to be honest. To to have that capability to both, and, and this is, I guess, the really critical part is to have the infrastructure to both store these records, but also... It's not just storage, you can't just pop them as we can, as we know when we try to open a Word document that's now probably three years old, you know, we have all sorts of issues with um, covering. So sort of dealing with that kind of system and making sure that we have a robust system that also makes sure that the digital versions don't get corrupted over time, um, are, are there forever. With also, as you said, how do we get the information in there? So we have a lot of systems that we've been developing around that uh, make sure that we can digitise records to really high preservation standards. So our preservation team have years of research, but also standards that are set for how we think we need to optimise the digitization. So it's really technical and specific when we talk to, and and the people who were involved in the World War II project will tell you, we are very specific. It's it's around contrast and cropping and size and the types of files and it has to be um, non-compressed and all these sort of standards that we require of them. And yeah, and then we have the systems to kind of put them in there. Look, and, and that's why I guess we, we do talk to industry a lot. We do work with them because that high larger scale is something that they're I guess more familiar with as we get more familiar with it as well but yes but also I mean the World War II records I guess are fairly what you imagine a file a paper file looks like with some exceptions but also at the archives we have huge bound volumes we have maps and plans we have a whole AV collection so again it's all the standards and the equipment so we have All sorts of awesome pieces of equipment and photographic material that we use depending on the particular record.
0: And you mentioned at the start of the podcast that the National Archives of Australia, the starting point for people who want to access these records is naa.gov.au and they can also look and, and and see how you do the projects as well.
1: Absolutely. So information about how we do the projects, information about some of the finds. You will see stories, um, not just the World War II project, but other stories we find. And it's it's quite surprising. I'm always, I guess when I probably started and heard about the, you know, we say the National Archives is a federal agency that collects government records. And I think sometimes people start to gloss over a bit, but it's when you actually see what's in these records and, and the scope of what we find. It tells us so much about, about our society and our individuals. And I think that's that's been the great thing with the um, World War II project. I mean, we even by default in the World War Two service files found it looks to be a poster that was a hygiene poster that was Obviously, somewhere in in set up in the air force, um, or the um, I think it was the air force, yeah. Um, and it appears that people were using the poster, as you can imagine, ripping it into four and then reusing the paper. But it meant that over about a year, our team actually pieced together these these um this poster and it was actually about how to make um disinfectant to make sure you wash your hands and we're doing this while we're at home with COVID. and it was just things go around in circles it's not that far away Um, gosh yeah yeah.
0: uh, again congratulations on achieving a great milestone for the national archives of australia and rebecca thank you so much for your time today
1: oh it's absolute pleasure it's it's it was um yeah, it's, we all here work. Um, we're so grateful for doing the work that we do and being able to be entrusted with these records. So, And thank you for the work that you do in spreading this because these are such important records and, and show such a part of our history. So always happy to talk at any time. So thank you very much.
0: That's the podcast for today. We're keen to hear your feedback by leaving a review on your podcast app. Your reviews helps new listeners find our podcast. And you can help support this podcast via Patreon or Buy Me A Coffee. The links are on our website and Facebook page, and your support helps us with the production of this podcast. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your service.